Amen, amen. Welcome to the church. I don't know if you guys have heard this before or not, but you belong here. You belong here. This is not an accident. I don't believe this is an accident at all that you're here today. If you're joining us online, if you're here in person, if you are joining us online, man, get here. There's a spot for you. And if there isn't, we'll kick someone out and make one for you, all right? You belong here. You, you need to be here. You guys are here for a reason. We're here for a purpose. And that song is so fitting. That song that we just sang, that, that we would shout out your name from the rooftops. And you'll see where, where we're going with that in just a second. But before we do, um, I just want to acknowledge something. If you guys noticed, uh, you probably have, um, that technology is kind of moving forward. Have you seen that? Have you guys seen this lately? I mean, technology lately is so huge. It's just like leaping forward. Every time you turn around, you realize like you're out of date. You know what I mean? You're like, oh, gosh. And you can do that now? I didn't, I didn't know that. You could order pizza from your phone. I, like, when did that, you know? Actually, that's been a while. But you know what I'm saying? Like, like there's just things that are happening so fast. And in fact, uh, a, a journal article that came out just two weeks ago talking about technology talks about just some of these growth stats just in the last couple of years. Check this out. In quarter one of 2021, 4.6 billion people are using the internet. That's a lot. It's a big deal. Globally, there are about 1.5, sorry, 1.35 million tech startups around the world. The number of smart devices collecting, analyzing, and sharing data should hit 50 billion by the year 2030. Now, like last time I checked, there's only like 8 billion people on the earth. You guys got a lot of devices, man. <laughs> we got a lot of devices, 50 billion devices collecting, analyzing, and sharing data by the year 2030. The computing and processing capacity of computers hits double figures every 18 months. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds really impressive. That's huge. The world has produced 90% of its big data in the last two years. This is like, this is it's just going and going and going, and it gets faster, and it gets faster, and it gets more crazy. In every second, did you know that 127 new devices are connected to the internet? Every second. In fact, in the time that it took me to read you that, 635 new devices were just connected to the internet. That's insane. That's insane. So many of our conveniences, our way of life, our, our livelihoods, even our necessities revolve around this technology, but it wasn't always like this, right? Uh, I, I don't know if any of you guys grew up like I did back in the day um, where these things didn't exist. I, I remember when I was a kid, um, when, when the first time I saw a, a cell phone type thing was a, was a car phone. Do you guys remember car phones? It was actually a phone in your car. It didn't go with you. It was just in the car. Now they're like trying to get people not to talk on phones and cars. But this was like promoted back in the day. <laughs> All right, it was a car phone. I remember my dad had one of these car phones. Apparently, the only two people that I knew of that had a car phone were the president of the United States and my dad. I don't know how he pulled that off. But he had these car phones. And I thought, like, this is so embarrassing. What are you doing on this thing? We're going to pull up to a stoplight. Somebody's going to see you talk on this phone. It's going to be weird. You know what I mean? It's like, who does that? Who talks on a phone in the car? It's just like that, that was a mindset now. I mean, back in the day. See, I, I grew up in this, this like gray area that some people might call uh, Generation X. We got Gen, Gen X in here? Like four people. It's awesome. <laughs> We're feeling the love, man. 
But see, that's that's where I was. Like I I, I grew up in the, between this Gen, Gen X time period and then right on the cusp of this millennial time period. We got any millennials in the room? All right, got a, got a few. One proud person in the back. All right, that's good. And, 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 but, but see, I, I didn't really want to like identify as a Gen X because I felt like that was a little bit old school, but then like millennials kept getting a bunch of bad rap, you know, <laughs> just kept getting like a bunch of bad rap to be a millennial. And so I didn't really want to identify as a millennial and thank God they came out with this new term. And I think this is where I find myself. It's this idea of a zennial. Have you guys heard of this? <laughs> it's a real thing. It's a real thing. In fact, the Wikipedia I mean, you know it's real. It's on Wikipedia, right? Wikipedia defines it like this. It's a member of an age group born after Gen X and before the millennial generation, specifically in the late 70s and early 80s. So now you know where I'm at. <laughs> but see, I like to think of this as, as, as more of like this. I, I kind of grew up with this analog childhood, Right? Like everything that I did was analog. We played in the streets out until it was dark. We had no way. Our parents didn't know where we were at. We'd just like show up sometime after, after it got dark, roll in with bruises and stuff. No questions asked. You know what I mean? And, 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 and then there was this transition late childhood to early teens where all of a sudden things started shifting over to this digital age, Right. And ever since then, if you're a true millennial or if you're even, you know, Gen, Gen Y or, or Z uh, come up, following up, I think those are the right ones. If you guys are in that, that area, this is all you've known. This is all you've known is this technology age. In fact, we get upset when technology doesn't work. We just sort of assume it's supposed to be there. And, and things keep getting faster and faster and faster, but it wasn't always there. See, people paved the way to make that happen. There's many, many people that pave the way. And so you might think of this and go, okay, yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Like maybe who is the first person who started to pave the way for technology? Maybe you look back and you go, oh, maybe it's Thomas Edison, right? He's the guy that created the light bulb. I mean, he gave us light outside of God, right? He created the light bulb. Or maybe it was like one of those other computer guys, you know what I mean? Like Bill Gates or Steve Jobs, one of those guys. Maybe it's them. They, they kind of ushered in this new technology age that we're in. Or maybe it's, it, maybe it's the internet guy, <laughs> the mysterious internet guy, the guy who created the internet. But I, but I want to propose something. I, I want to propose that the reality is that it, it was all those people, but it was many, 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 many more. Many more. In fact, you right here this morning, and if you're, especially if you're tuning in online, you know what I'm talking about, you guys are part of that many more. You're holding devices in your hands. Some of you guys are checking in on Instagram, like, what is this guy talking about right now? Like, you guys are, are part of this technology boom. You're demanding it. You're moving technology forward, and, and things are getting um, faster. They're, they're getting more productive. You're, we're doing more things now than we ever have. And see, this new reality that we have right now would never have existed had people not done the hard work in the very beginning and continue the hard work now to pursue that forward. Do you see what I'm saying? It, it took many, many people to grasp an idea that didn't even exist before. I mean, if you would have talked to us when I was a kid, if you would have said that um, from my phone, like a, a phone was connected to the wall, like it didn't even, you know what I mean? You didn't have these things in your pockets. If you were to talk about that and say, yeah, from that, you're gonna have this thing called an app, and from that, you're going to like click a button and then a dude is going to show up at your door with a bag of groceries. 
and and it's just gonna have everything that you want in there and more. And it, you know what I mean? Like that that would be like, what? You're weird, man. Who does that? Yeah, that's crazy. Like that that that's just not a thing. But yet here we are talking about, I mean, that's just our way of life, right? And, and this didn't just happen. This is, this is people who imagined something that did not exist before, pursued it with great intentionality, even when people were mocking them, even when people said that can never be done. You know, if you would have said that, hey, you can hold like tens of thousands of songs in your pocket, you know, back in the day, you're thinking, gosh, man, like a record's like this big. How's that? What kind of pockets you got? You know what I'm saying? But now that's just the thing. I mean, we just walk around with this stuff. And see, uh, these today people are are connecting in ways that we never thought possible. We're sending photos. We're sending videos. We're singing. We're we're doing video chats with people all the way across the world in real time. Anybody grow up back in the day when they had like the news reporter guys from the other side of the world, and they'd say something, and it'd take like a minute for them to respond, (laughs) and they're just sitting there like. You already heard the question, and you're just like, wait, or you're like, say something. <laughs> it's just so much faster today. Everything's so, so moving forward. This is all because someone paved the way. Someone made it easier. Someone came along and they saw something that should be when it didn't exist and, and paved the way for it to happen. Today we're going to talk about, and if you're a note taker, if you're somebody who likes to take notes, you can write this down. Uh, We're going to talk about embracing the kingdom of God means preparing for the king. Embracing the kingdom of God means preparing for the king, removing old kings, and pursuing a life of repentance. Let's pray. Father, we're um, we're thankful for your word this morning, God. We're thankful for your truth. We're thankful for just the fact that we get to be here like this. And God, we're asking in the name of Jesus, you would help us to see who you have called us to be through all this, God. Help us to get this for your glory. Don't let us miss you, God. It's in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Our area of scripture this morning is Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. And we're going to be kind of touching ground in a couple of areas in that, and, and then we'll move forward. But um, if we're talking about preparing the king, again, embracing the kingdom of God, it means preparing for the king. If we're talking about preparing for the king, then we have to, we have to trust the preparation. We have to trust the preparation that's taking place. And, and, and to trust the preparation, we have to do a little bit of digging, a little bit of background and see, it, and, and, and this is so important for you to know that Scripture is completely true. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, all the way through it is complete truth. But I, you can't just take my word for it, or you can, but, but we need to recognize something, that there's a lot of critics out there, right? And maybe you're one of them, and praise the Lord that you're here. See, critics used to, used to believe that the book of Acts was not historically accurate, this was, this was a big deal. They would say that the, the book of Acts was not historically accurate, which is, which is kind of an issue for us because we're, we're reading through the gospel of Luke, the book of Luke, and guess who wrote the book of Luke? A guy named Luke. I was trying to throw you an easy one first. Come on, guys. But guess who also wrote the book of Acts? A guy named Luke. Same dude. 
All right, and, and, and so if we're going to trust what we're going to read, we have to just sort of identify the elephant in the room and move forward past this because there, there used to be this, this critic voice that was speaking, and there was one such voice that was kind of a big one. And in an article written in 2017, Russ Witten, he addresses some of this, and he talks about a guy named Sir William Ramsey. All right, first of all, if your name starts with a sir, you got to be legit, right? I mean, this guy... You know what I mean? If I was like, Sir Blake is going to come give a talk today, people would be like leaning in like, oh, he's got a PhD. Who cares? His name is Sir. All right. All right. Sir William Ramsey. This guy is a well-known historical scholar and archaeologist. In fact, he's one of the most well-known in all of history uh, for his works. And Ramsey, turns out, tried to disprove the Bible the, the inspired word of God, he wanted to disprove the Bible overall. And his tactic, the way that he was going to approach it, was to discredit the book of Acts. All right, this, is, this is a well-studied uh, historical guy. He, he is an archaeologist. So he goes and he spends 30 years doing research in the Middle East. All right, Sir, Sir William Ramsey spends 30 years doing all this research in the Middle East to try to disprove the book of Acts. And this is the conclusion that he came, came up to, and I'm going to quote this. He says this about Luke. He said, he's specifically, now this guy's not a Christian, not a believer at this, at this point. He says, Luke is a historian of the first rank. Not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy. This author should be placed along with the very greatest historians. He later on wrote a book of trustworthiness of the Bible based on the discoveries that, that he found, and he converted to Christianity. <laughs> so here's a guy, and you hear the story after story. Here's a guy that set out his life purpose 30 years. That's a big deal. That's crazy. 30 years of his life was set out to disprove, to discredit the word of God, and he was going to attack it, this very specific thing. And what he found out is that there's so much truth here. There's so much accuracy um, that I have no other choice but to believe this. And not only to believe it, but to submit to it. This is crazy when you consider this. We realize that in the book of Acts, Luke mentions 32 countries, 54 cities, nine Mediterranean islands, and 95 specific people, and he did not get one of them wrong. The article talks about if you compare that to the Encyclopedia Britannica, <laughs> the first year that the Encyclopedia Britannica, which was just like the end-all, say-all of information back in the day, right? <laughs> This, this was the first year that it was published. It contained so many mistakes regarding places in the U.S. that it had to be recalled. That's crazy. See, if you're going to truly embrace something, if you're going to embrace the kingdom of God, you have to prepare for it. And mentally, if you're going to, if you're going to mentally prepare for something, you have to know that you can trust the source. So what we're about to talk about, what we're about to read, this is so important because the implications of what I'm going to challenge us this morning are huge. And if you don't trust it, there's an issue. You got to trust this. We can trust the author of Luke. Check this out. 
chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, there's a couple of scriptures in here, verse 1 and 2 in, in Luke chapter 3, that are, are literally a list of names. Luke starts off chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. If we can get that up there, there's a, there's a list of names, and these are real titles. Look at this. In the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar, there's a real person. Pontius Pilate, there's a real person. Being governor of Judea, that's a real position. Herod, king tetrarch of Galilee, there's a real person, a real position. His brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of whatever that word is. That's a real position, all right? These are real people. These are, in fact, these are very real, verifiable people. So Luke doesn't just start off talking matter of fact and all this information. He says, look, here's what was going on in this time. Now I'm being vulnerable. Now you can actually go back in history and look and verify this account and say, this is a real time in history. This is a real people group. This is real government rulers. All of this is real. This isn't a fairy tale. This is so important. So many times, I don't know if you, are you guys like me? You start reading like a, a piece of scripture in the Bible and you, and you see this stuff and you go, okay, what are the names? And okay, there, there there's where I'm going to start, <laughs> right? Uh, okay, maybe it's just me. But um, it, it is so huge. So Luke, Luke gives us real names. He's a great historian. So after trust, when we're talking about pre- preparation, we have to prepare because it was, it was prophesied. This preparation was prophesied about. Check out in Luke chapter 1, verse 76. This is, this is Zechariah. This is John's dad talking back. Again, we're in a series through the book of Luke. If you're just joining us, go back and you're only three chapters behind. Just read it. And then here we are in Luke chapter 1. We're, we're doing a little bit, a bit of history here. Luke chapter 1, Zechariah, John's dad, he says this. He, he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied. He said, you, child, talking about his newborn son, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. It was prophesied by Zechariah, John's dad. It was prophesied by Isaiah in chapter 40, verse 3 through 5. We'll get to that in just a minute. And it was also prophesied by Malachi. Malachi was another prophet. Check this out. Malachi uh, chapter three, verse one, it says, behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. See, up until um, Zechariah and and John the Baptist were on the scene, that that was pretty much the last word of the Lord through prophetic word. That was heard for about 400, 450 years, some, some, somewhere in that range. That's a lot of silence in there. This is important. This event, this, this thing that took place that we're going to talk about today was hugely important. A side note, man, if you, if you guys are going in your walk with Christ and you're trying to pursue him and, and it just seems like he's not saying anything, go back to the last thing that he did say. Start there. Because maybe that was just that important. Maybe that was just that, that instrumental in, in who he's called you to be and what his kingdom overall looks like. So to prepare the way for the king, we have to trust the source. To prepare the way for the king, we have to, uh, to, to dive into the prophecy of that preparation. And to prepare the way for the king, we have to make a way. We've got to make a way. Luke chapter 3 Uh, Verse three through six. Let's check that out. It says, you went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
as it is written in the book of the words, Isaiah the prophet. And here, here is that Isaiah 40, uh, verse 3, verse. He says, the, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. What does that mean? That's a lot. High places made low, valleys filled, curved ways made straight. What's he talking about? You guys um, familiar with our freeway system? Some of you too much. We have this, this, this freeway uh, called I-10, and it runs from coast to coast, right? From California all the way to Florida. And we have, uh, you know, and then there's another one that runs through our state, Interstate 40. That's a pretty popular one. There might be some other ones too, I-8. These didn't always exist. In fact, if you wanted to take a look just at, at the I-10 interstate, this uh, began construction back in 1956, and it was completed in terms of what we know it as today uh, back in 1990. That's a long time <laughs> to work on a freeway system. But what it did, what it did is create an easier way to go across the states. It's called an interstate. And, and it goes across. In fact, it, it spans from California, comes into Arizona, goes over to New Mexico, Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, and finally ends up in Florida. And, and it made a way through all of these mountains, these cities, through low places, through high places. And as they built this freeway, it, 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 they, they estimated it to cost like, I think it was like $12 billion or something. It ended up costing like 125 Way underestimated that project. But, but to, to build this thing, they actually, what they had to do was blast through mountainsides. They had to build bridges up above low spots where water was at. And they actually even tore down some buildings through the process to make a straight path. They made, a, they, they made this, this way, this, this easier way, this straight path, avoiding buildings, avoiding high mountains, avoiding water obstacles and such. But see, John's not, he's not talking about clearing a physical path here. There, there was, there was term, terminology used here because people understood that. Right? I need to make a way for a, a new kings coming in town. We need to clear the path so that when they're walking, they don't need to, they have to step around rocks and mountains and stuff like this and curves, curved areas and roadways. We need to make a straight path to make it easier for them to come in. Yes, that's true. But John's talking about something much deeper. In fact, he's talking about something much more difficult. And this is where it gets crazy. He's talking about, don't miss this, he's talking about overthrowing a kingdom here on earth. He's talking about overthrowing a kingdom here on earth. And this is going to bring us to, to the next area. If we're going to embrace a new kingdom, we have to take, take apart old kings and old kingdoms. If we're going to embrace the actual kingdom of God, we have to get rid of our old kings. Let's look, let's look at verse 7 through 9 real quick. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able 
from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What is a weird way to start a message, right? <laughs> you brood of vipers. Imagine that if I came out here today and was like, just started calling you guys names. But what, what is he talking about here? I think John is challenging these guys to come into a sense of reality that they're, that they're, that they're not in yet. He's challenging them to remove old kings. And if we're going to remove old kings, we have to stop living in someone else's identity. See, the people of the time right here would have said something like this. Hey, Abraham's our father. We're, we're Jewish descent. Abraham's our father. We're good. There's nothing you can stop me from getting to heaven. I'm not going to hell because I got the name tag. You know what I mean? And that's who I am. And John's going, look, it doesn't matter who you came from. There is a king coming that is far greater than any of this. And you have to stop claiming a cultural identity. What about us? What if the first step for us right here in terms of removing old kings is just coming to the realization that we have to stop claiming a cultural Christianity? I, I don't know how to say this lightly, but you're not Christian just because you're an American, okay? It's not a dig on America. It's not, I, love, I love the freedoms that we have. It's not anything about that. But you are not a Christian because you were born in this country. We have to stop claiming a cultural Christianity who says, well, I, I mean, I know, I know a guy, he prays all the time. I'm pretty good friends with him. I feel pretty good about that. You know what I mean? <laughs> My grandma talks about Jesus like every time we're at the dinner table. Feel pretty good about that. David Guzik, he reminds us that this is this is this was a widely taught and it is accepted in that day that that um, that Abraham's merits were sufficient for the Jews' salvation. Yet John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, is literally warning them directly, calls them out directly, and he says, "Keep with repentance. Don't fall back on your heritage." So what do you rely on in your life? Is it simply attending church? Glad you're here. You belong here. You belong here for a much bigger reason. We're going to get to that in a second. But is that your identity to Christ is just being here? Is it that your parents were strong prayer warriors? Is it that you wear a Christian t-shirt? Sometimes. Is it that you think about God often? John, John the Baptist, he was the one ordained by God. He was the one prophesied by God. And he's the one right here that he warns us, don't rely on that, man. Removing old kings. It comes a reality check. If I'm going to remove old kings, I got to understand where I'm at right now. Where are these things slipping in? If I'm going to remove old kings, it requires a change of mindset. And this is so, so huge. All right. The past 30 days have been kind of insane for me. Um, somehow I got roped into this thing called a 30-day challenge. I wasn't really sure what it was at first. It, it was me and a, and a couple other guys. Sage was part of it. I liked Did you hear how uh, Justin announced Sage, by the way? I don't know. It just caught me off guard. He's like, Sage from stage, but he didn't know which word to say. Like stage, say. Anyways, sorry. Just had me laughing. Um, 
we were part of this thing. It was this 30-day challenge, and part of this challenge, they, we had all these things that we had to complete each day, right? And, and if you missed a day or if you missed one of the six things that you had to complete during the day, you had to start your 30 days over, and it was very rigorous. It was, it was difficult, and, and it was this small group of guys, and we had this private chat group that we kept touch um, with through. But one of the things that we had to do, I won't talk about all the things, but one of the things that we had to do, which was literally like my biggest fear. I mean, we're, you're talking about things like, like diet change and, and, and working out and, and like, like some intense stuff. But the one thing that I did not want to do was on here. And it was like, every day you must take a cold shower. <laughs> Why? You know what I mean? What in the world? Like every day you have to take a cold shower. In fact, once you start this, you can no longer take a hot shower, period. It's only cold showers for 30 days. Okay, look, like if you're watching this online from Phoenix or something, you're like, what's the big deal? Right? Cold shower is like 95 degrees. <laughs> it's not that way up here. Right, there were some mornings, I don't know if you guys remember a couple weeks ago, where we were like down in single digits overnight. That's cold. <laughs> That's cold, man. And you turn on the cold water, only cold water. I'm talking about just straight up cold water. It gets you. <laughs> the first time I did this, I, I hopped in the shower. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to do this thing. You know what I mean? And I got this. And I jumped in, and I literally thought I was having a heart attack. I, I was like, oh. <laughs> like, I couldn't breathe. I, I was like, nope, I'm out. That's it. Day one, I'm out. <laughs> That's all there is to it, man. And, and, and then the guy who was leading this up, he's part of our church here, and, and he, he, he brought just a little bit of encouragement. It's like, why can't you tell me this like before this, right? He said, he said I'm going to give you guys a little breathing trick, all right? He gives us a little breathing trick. He's like, he's like act like you're a skier, you know? And, and, and do, I, why? I, I thought, he looks so silly, too. He actually did a video, a chat, on the, using technology, all right, of, of him skiing, like doing these ski motions and how to breathe through it. I was like, all right, if my wife walks in right now, this is going to be so weird. And so here I am, I'm hopping into the cold shower, and I'm doing the ski move, right? And I'm doing it, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, this actually works. I don't, I'm not having a heart attack. I'm just pre-heart attack now. This is good, all right? He lets that like simmer for like a week or so, a week and a half, maybe two weeks even. And there was a really cold morning and he, and he challenged all of us. He said, look, look guys, there's going to be a point where you have to embrace this, where you have to embrace this. And then he began to talk about, uh, there was some articles that were sent through chat about the, the health benefits of cold showers. Now that wasn't given to us before. That would have been great information, but he began to talk about the health benefits because I was like, why are we doing this? This is weird. And, and sure enough, man, you felt it. Getting in the shower is the worst thing ever. But coming out, you felt like a new person. And it's not just because you're leaving 40 degrees and coming out into like 65. It, it, it was, there was something there. And, 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 and then he challenged us with this new mindset. He said, just embrace it. And instead of, instead of going into the shower going, oh my gosh, I just have to, we had a time limit too. It had to be three minutes. You know what I mean? It had to be at least three minutes to, to count, and, um, which is eternity, by the way. It really is. Um, it's amazing. You can take a 10-minute hot shower and not even re realize it. You can take a three-minute cold shower and it feels like, yeah. Anyways. So he said, he said, just embrace it, man. Just embrace this thing. It's like, okay. 
So I just need to embrace it. And, and sure enough, man, as you start to do that, you actually start to look forward to these things. It's the weirdest thing. And, and see, there's this mindset that we have to change. Where when we're going to go and remove old kings, we have to believe something bigger than our current state. Do you recognize that? We have to believe and trust something greater than we see what's right in front of us, that we're feeling right in front of us, that we think that we're experiencing right in front of us. There's something way bigger than meets the eye. If we're going to embrace a new way of life, if we're going to embrace a new kingdom, we have to step into that and embrace it truly, change our mind about how we think about these things. Daryl Johnson in his book, Discipleship on the Edge, he says this, if Jesus is Lord and you and I are not, we know from our own personal experience that when Jesus Christ confronted us, he exposed our idolatry. He says, we either confess our idolatry, turn around and follow him, or it starts to get really uncomfortable. He goes on to say this. He says, proclaim the rule of Jesus Christ in the temple. Get this, in the temple. Oh, yeah, there it is. Of individualism or relativism or materialism or militarism, and we will find ourselves in trouble. Why do you think that is? When we begin to declare the rule of Christ in these areas, because that's me, man. You can't, you can't reign on my kingdom. That's getting too personal, right? Let me ask you this. How are you preparing for his kingdom, not yours, for his rule? You, personally, how are you preparing for his kingdom? What's your part in this? Make it personal. What about individualism? I'll just pick on that one for a second one. You know, you know what I'm talking about. You do you. Have it your way. Obey your thirst. What happens here stays here. Be yourself. We're bombarded with these messages and this culture day in and day out. And we actually begin to believe them for ourselves. And we create our own kingdom. Are we ready to throw out our own kingdom? Are we ready to submit to the rule of Christ? It's a question. We're going to nail this home in just in a minute and 30 seconds. All right. Um, finally, pursuing a life of repentance. This is the third piece of this. Pursuing a life of, of repentance. Verse 10 through 14. The crowds came to him and he asked, what then shall we do? And he answered, whoever has two tunics, share them who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you're authorized to do. Soldiers asked him, what shall we do? And he, and he said to them, don't extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations and, by, and, and, and be content with your wages. What is true repentance? What is true repentance? So often our Christianity culture, our mindset thinks that tr true repentance is, is, is saying sorry for something, is feeling bad for something to God, talking to God in prayer and saying, I, I'm sorry for that, that, that sucks. And they just turn right back around and doing it again. Or, or maybe it's, it's just, you know, feeling bad about something for a minute and, and, and that like I'm feeling shameful or I'm feeling regret and, and then that, that does it, right? But none of that is true repentance. It's not lip service. True repentance is a change of mind 
Don't miss this. True repentance is this. It's a change of mind. How do I think about something? It's a change of mind. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of heart. What are my desires? What do I actually seek after? It's a change of mind that leads to a change of heart that leads to a change in action. It's not simply saying a a lip service prayer. Romans 12, 2 talks about it in this way. It says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of what? The renewal of what? The renewal of your mind. Because what happens when you renew your mind? Your heart begins to change and it begins to follow. And when you change your heart and your desires, what happens is your actions begin to change and follow. And all of a sudden, when I was going this way right here, I begin to go this way right here. It's not simply a prayer. It's more than that. It's a change of mind. It's a change of heart. And it's a change of your ways. True repentance is changing. This is not, guys, this is huge. This is not just individual. Yes, individually, you, you, I said make it personal earlier, right? This is individual. You have to decide to do this. You listening online, you have to decide to do this. Absolutely. But this cannot stay individually. It must be translated into community. We're talking about a kingdom, a kingdom. Think about this. The kingdom of God is the rule of Christ on earth through the church, through you. The kingdom of God is the rule of Christ on the earth through you. You are the church. The kingdom is here and the kingdom is coming. Repentance is a community thing. Repentance in the community of God. James 5 tells us to confess our sins to one another and to pray to one another. But let's be honest. Can we just be honest for a second? We don't want to do that. Who wants to be going around a group of people confessing sins? Let's have a confession party. Doesn't sound cool, right? But, but, but James 5 tells us to do this. But, but can, we, can we just be real, real honest for a second? I don't think that, I, I really don't think the reason why we don't want to confess sin is because we're afraid of judgment. I don't think it's, it's, if we got down to the core, I don't think it's because we're afraid of gossip. Someone's going to talk bad about us. I don't think it's, I definitely don't think it's a, this, that we're afraid of an invasion of privacy. I mean, seriously. Somebody just heard everything we just talked about. And you're going to get an ad for it later. All right. We're not worried about our privacy. We're not worried about just this invasion of personal space. We're not really worried about judgment. We're getting judged all the time, man. No, no. If, if we're honest with each other, if we're honest, more importantly, with ourselves, the real reason that I believe that we don't want to actually confess, we don't want to confess to one another is because we don't want to repent. Did you hear what I said? Those are two different things. The real reason we don't want to confess, if I say it out here to you, my brother, to you, my sister, isn't because I'm worried that you're going to judge me. It's because I know you're going to hold me accountable to that. And you're going to remind me that I was going this way and I needed to change how I think about that and how I feel about that. And I need to turn around and go this way. John is hammering on this. You want to know what's important? He says, repent, turn, 
He begins the ushering in the actual kingdom of God and the thing that he focuses on, repentance, a change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of action. I wanna, I wanna close with this. I'm gonna read some of this. Throughout the gospels, the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see that the gospel writers passionately deliver a message that Jesus is the king and he's ushering in God's kingdom. Later in Luke chapter 23, he stands before Pilate in his trial. Jesus stands before Pilate and Pilate asks, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus' response is, you said it. This message is repeated through the account of Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus was king. When the soldiers mocked him on his way to the cross, Jesus was king. As they created a crown for him and they made a, a crown of thorns, they slammed it down on his head. Jesus was king. As they put a reed in his right hand, Jesus was king. As they knelt down before him saying, hail the king of the Jews, Jesus was king. As Jesus was literally dying on the cross, the soldiers continued to mock him saying, if you're the king of the Jews, just bring yourself down from them. Jesus was king. A sign fixed above the head of Jesus on the cross read this, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Jesus was king. When Jesus rose from, from the dead three days later, Jesus was king. 2,000 years later, here we are. We're talking about it today. This man that they mocked, that they beat, that they spit on, that they hung on a cross and they didn't believe because we live between the already and the not yet. Jesus is king. One day he will come again and complete the work he has started as king. His kingdom is already here. Look around. The kingdom of God is not a place as much as it is God's power and authority through God's people. But the question that we have to ponder is this, are you part of the kingdom? The only way you can be part of the kingdom is if you throw out the other kings. Repentance is the highway to your heart and the gateway to the kingdom of God. Repentance is the highway to your heart and the gateway to the kingdom of God. Here's what I want you to do this week. This is, this is really important. Just two things, all right? One, identify one area of sin in your life. You need to write this down. This is, this is a real challenge. If we just come here and hear this, we missed it, man. You wasted an hour of your time. I'm sorry. Identify one area of sin in your life. One area that competes for the kingdom of God. And I want you to truly repent of it. Change how you think about it, how you feel, how your heart's desire is for it. Begin to ask God to help you with that. And then, and then change your actions. You turn away from it, literally. I'm saying I'm done with that. And the second piece of that is this. Tell someone about it. Tell someone close to you, you know, that truly loves you, that truly loves your heart that loves your well-being, and you tell somebody close to you that what it was and to hold you to it. Repentance is a change of heart. It's a change of desire, change of mind, change of action. Love you guys. Let's do this, okay?